Hello and welcome to another Dial F for Flanger. And uh, yeah, it's a chat show. My nickname is Flanger. That sort of explains all the, the key points of that title. Uh, I don't know why we're dialing. It's uh, it's mostly done on Skype, which, well, I guess there is an element of dialing. More, more waving. But anyway, uh, let's get started. Today I'm talking to a man who um, I've known on social media for quite a while. Um, he was a listener to Waiting for Doom. And then I suddenly made a connection that he was actually aiming to be a comics professional, and uh, yeah, and now he is uh, co-writing Wonder Woman, and he's been involved with uh, Midnighter and comics and things like that, and he's really exploded into the DC Universe and has Batgirls coming up uh, with uh, Becky Cloonan uh, on co-writing duties, and so I'm talking to Michael Conrad today. How are you, Michael? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, when you when you hear kind of the list of things that you're working on kind of back to back. It, it sounds really impressive. And I think, um, I think a lot of like my story seems like it's all come together quite quickly. Um, and one of, one of like kind of my personal goals in, in being a little bit more in the spotlight is to kind of demystify some of those things. So this is this, could be a really interesting conversation. I've, I've been looking forward to it. Excellent. Yeah, I, I, you seem like um, you know one of those overnight sensations. But I know with every uh, overnight sensation, there's like you know ten years of hard grind and anonymity. And uh, I particularly wanted to talk about your anonymity because uh, I think the first time I realised um, and went oh wow about your career was when you and Becky did a Doom Patrol issue uh, in the middle of Gerard Way's uh, uh, last run. And that was incredibly exciting to us, you know, doing a Doom Patrol podcast, of course, and, you know, uh, knowing anyone who loves the Doom Patrol is is uh, absolutely fine by me. Yeah, that was probably the, the first time I went, oh, wow, look at that. And, I mean, Becky, of course, had that pitch for Doom Patrol with Gerard that um, didn't really uh, progress at the time, um, that sort of evolved into what Young Animal became. Uh, so, yeah, how did that come about? I mean, it was a big deal for me for certain uh, as much as you were like oh this is when i i'll become aware of michael I th- that was when uh, many people became aware of me because i was kind of a zinester um are is zines like an international uh thing like are there zines in australia oh absolutely yeah i mean i was involved with Do- doctor who zines in the 70s <laughs> so, oh cool yeah. oh very very cool. I love Doctor Who as well, so the, the, that's heartening for me. Yeah, I was making a lot of zines. I, I started out quite young uh, making zines, kind of punk zines about music and about counterculture and, and stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, I, I, I started making more uh, sequential art kind of zines. Mostly it was – I couldn't find people who would – who would work with me because I was, no one knew who I was and I wanted to be a writer. Um, so I started drawing my own stuff or working with friends and, um, it was quite, I was quite lucky in that I grew up in the same town, the same small town in Southern New Hampshire in the States with, with Becky. And we had been friends basically for the entirety of our lives I had really focused on playing music um, 
but having this great artist at my disposal, I would hit up Becky all the time and have her draw t-shirt designs and all these things. And it was so, I was so young and so ignorant that I never offered payment or anything. Like <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being honest, we were never really making any money, but I never even sent her like, Hey, here's like the shirt that was born of, of your artwork. It was just, I don't know. I was just young and dumb. Um, so being in pretty constant contact with her throughout my life, I saw, oh, you're making comics and I've loved comics my whole life. So I started just doing, I knew I wasn't going to be on Becky's level. Um, so I would just get together with friends and I would write stories and they would draw them and they would write some and I would draw them and we'd put out these little anthology zines. And that was kind of like the story of, of my creative life uh, for a number of years. I've always loved Doom Patrol. Always, always, always. I can't remember a time in my life where Doom Patrol wasn't there. Um, I was from a very, very poor household. Uh, but I loved comics. Comics were hard to get, so I would rely on, we would go to like flea markets and, and, secondhand stores and things like that and occasionally i'd find like a stack of comics for pretty cheap and doom patrol would always be in there because doom patrol (laughs) is just one of those comics that just ends up in such places yeah Um, so i loved doom patrol and then once i had enough money to be like you know working in a warehouse or whatever I, i would buy the Grant Morrison run, the Rachel Pollock run. I really kept up with it, and I always loved Doom Patrol. Um, life took me in many different directions, but I always loved comics, and I always loved Becky. Uh, but we were friends, and we were friends for, you know, after meeting for years and years and years. And um, we used to do this thing. I was living in California and she had just moved to Austin, Texas, where we both live now. And we would do a thing where she would call me or I would call her and we both owned the, those, they put out the Graham Morrison, Richard Case, Doom Patrol run in these three big thick volumes. Yep. And we would, we would do a thing where it was like, Hey, how's the day going to go? And, the other person would grab one of those volumes and flip through <laughs> and close their eye and point to, um, you know, a panel and it would, it would create a prediction for how the day was going to go. <laughs> and it was alarmingly accurate. Um, so off of that, I, I came up with an idea for a Doom Patrol story. It just so happened that Becky was, um, going to be in North Carolina for a convention uh, that Gerard was going to be at. They were, you know, signing together for Killjoy stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> Young Animal was already kind of up and ripping. And she was hanging out with Gerard and said, listen, by this point, Becky and I were dating. She Yay. was like, listen, my, my yeah. And she was like, listen, my partner loves Doom Patrol. And he was like, oh, yeah, great. I'm sure, you know, everyone loves Doom Patrol. <laughs> like, good, good for him. She was like, but he's a writer and he has this idea. And I think it's pretty good. And let me share it with you. So she shared this idea that I had. 
And Gerard is such like a grounded, good, down to earth guy. Like I've been to his house, I've met his kid and his wife and uh, gotten to know him fairly well. Uh, it was so meaningful for me that he said, well, tell him to write the script. Let's do it. <laughs> um, naturally, I said to Becky, well, this is our shared story. This is a thing that we've that we've been doing in our personal lives. And now, <laughs> would you like to join me in this? And she said yes. And uh, it was it was many months, and three editors later, um, we had our story. Uh, and it wasn't because we took a long time to write it. It actually wrote itself very quickly. Uh, it just so happened that, <clears throat> you know, where it fell into the publishing schedule kind of required this big kind of lag and lead time into it. Um, and that was good. But also for someone like me, I'm, I'm kind of nihilistic in my worldview. I, I imagined it would never happen. I kept I kept being like, well, this is too good to be true. It's just not going to happen, but it's good to have been close to it. Yeah. Sure enough, it came out and and I, and it really was the achievement of a huge dream for me because I love Doom Patrol. I love it so much. It's it damn near saved my life. Yeah. And I think what Doom Patrol can do and what Doom Patrol continues to do through the TV series and through um the big catalog of books that exist is do just that. It takes people like me who feel like weirdo outsiders and, and gives us representation. Representation is hugely important mm. and it's easy for, um, it's easy for people who see a lot of people in comics who look and are from the same like kind of ethnic cultural background that they are. It's easy for them to not understand the quality of of representation for me, the representation that I needed and that I required and that was meaningful for me was to see outsiders band together and to have a good moment. Um, so to be able to contribute to that lineage was huge. Now, the other huge thing is, wow, I've now written a DC book. Uh, I've been Xeroxing copies of zines for years and years. What can I do with this thing? Mm. And I'll I'll be honest with you, uh, you have a moment where you're like, and now the 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 flat the bud's gonna open up, the flower's gonna bloom, the world will be presented to me, and tomorrow <laughs> everything's gonna be good. And that's just simply not the way it goes. You're just a person who co-wrote a book. Yeah. How do you? What do you do with that? What can you manifest based off of that? Um, it proved really uh, challenging for me to be like, wow, I'm right there. I'm right in this like really cool spot. What's going to happen for me? Yeah. How do I exploit this suddenly? <laughs> yeah. After that book came out, it did pretty well. Um, people seem to really like it, and that makes me very happy. Um, but it took about a year after that until um, things really started clicking and started moving. And it was very much based on the belief of 
The very first editor that was associated with the project, who is Jamie S. Rich, who's no longer with DC. Yeah. <laughs> but it was through working with him uh, that a year later, right at the dawning of COVID, where I was like, man, everything I did, like it was like the record needle just scratched across. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's all done. I just got started. Um, thankfully, we got an email from him, and that's where midnighter wonder woman and in many ways all the things that uh have followed and will follow is has come from so i owe jamie rich uh a huge debt of gratitude yeah. and in some ways my, the involvement of my middle initial it's not necessarily a tribute to him but he said to me hey if you're gonna credit yourself or if you're gonna do a credit in on your book as michael w conrad you got to do that every time, bud, because people <laughs> won't recognize you as Michael Conrad. Uh, so that's kind of um, every time that I see that in like a credits thing where it's uh, crediting me as Michael Conrad and I send a little note to the editor being like, hey, could you throw that W in there? <laughs> I think of Jamie. And I yeah. <laughs> so I, There's one thing that reminds yeah. me of you. I live in a rural area and everywhere I go, there's um, these signs on trees that say, MWC water bores, um, as far as, you know, digging holes to get water oh, out of the ground. Yeah. And every time I see it, I think of you, because <laughs> of your initial. Oh, you got you gotta, you gotta send me a picture of that. Oh, I, I, I will, yeah. Do you see how uh, chaos magic works, then? <laughs> you see, like, I've, I've showed up uh, in your life a number of times. It's, like, compelling you, like, hey, have this Skype conversation with MWC. <laughs> well, um, when your Doom Patrol issue came out... Um, one of my friends in the States sent me a signed copy by you and uh, Becky. So, uh, yeah, that no was... Way. Yeah, I, I have your autograph in oh. my collection. So, um, that was... Oh, that's uh, so cool. Jake from um, Time Tunnel Comics, who's been an excellent friend to me and supportive and friendly. I must have I must have met him then, and it must have been at... <laughs> oddly enough, it must have been in North Carolina, the very same con that um, Gerard like greenlit this thing yeah two years later after the book had come out gerard was appearing there again the book had just come out so naturally we went out there um that's that's brilliant i I love that and i've actually been to two uh cons in the states and one was in charlotte and one was in raleigh so whoa (laughs) (laughs) synchronicity is a thing yeah So it I've, I've been thing. to a Heroes Con and I've been to the Raleigh Galaxy Con. So that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been to Heroes. I hear it's one of the greatest cons of all cons. So I'm I'm jealous that you've uh, managed to make it to one of the premier conventions from such a far distance, an exceptionally far distance. I'm planning to get back there for 2023, uh, if the world is willing at that point, but uh, yeah. Hopefully we'll get to kick around together out there. That would be neat. That'd be awesome. Now, one of the things that I thought you're in a unique uh, position to talk about is the fact that, um, on the most part, I have a lovely time on Twitter. Like, I'm fairly anonymous. I am followed by people who seem to like me and, you know, like what I say. Uh, I don't go looking for fights. I don't, you know, I'm not into um, aggressive 
interactions in my life. You know, I just want to have a good time and talk about things that I love and, you know, uh, be nice to people on Twitter. And, you know, you, from my following of you, you seem to be exactly the same. Uh, But something has happened to you in uh, the last few years, and that is you have gone from, you know, you've surfaced out of anonymity into... Um, people know who you are and people have opinions about what you are and how has that been for you? I mean, what has changed about your social media interactions in the last uh, few years? It's incredibly challenging. Incredibly. And I, my social media reach isn't, isn't exceptional. I'm still largely anonymous. I'm still, I'm still in control of it. Uh, by and large. Um, I'm what, a thing that I'm not in control of and I will never be in control of and never hope to be in control of is other people's opinions. Um, I love that other people have opinions, even when they're divergent from my own. What I don't love is that I oftentimes struggle with, because I came into this thing with a mindset. I came into it with the idea of, Oh, I'm I'm a fan that got lucky, and I continue to feel that way. I'm a bit, I was a big Doom Patrol fan. I got to work on Doom Patrol. Big Wonder Woman fan. I get to work on Wonder Woman, and in Wonder Woman, I've gotten to weasel in these other characters that I like. I've gotten to like punch in the Spectre and Immortal Wonder Woman. I've got to put Dead Man as like a pretty important character in in our run. Um. In Midnighter, I got to just be off the rails and, and do the things that when I was a little boy, I imagined, like, oh, this would be the coolest comic if it had, like, robots and, and all this. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I continue to make zines. I continue to feel, like I say, uh, anonymous, uh, unseen, um, invisible. But I also know that I'm hyper visible to a certain audience and the certain audience are people that are of extreme fandoms for um, the books that I've been blessed to work on. And I love them and I want them to do well and to feel good. Um, but I've noticed that it's, it's incredibly taxing incredibly taxing when I allow myself based on like this moral fiber that I've, that I've determined, which is, Oh, I'm the, if I'm the fanboy that made good, I, I need to be an open door. I need to be really honest and really clear about my pathway to get here. The truth about the industry, the truth about like the, how there isn't like a huge bit of difference between self publishing and pub like working for hire for one of these major companies and to try and embolden people to be, to step outside of their comfort zone and self publish and do this and that in in the process of doing that, I've, I've put myself kind of in a weird place where if I'm going to respond to one person, I feel like I got to respond to everybody. Mm. So if I post something saying, Hey, Becky and I are going to be writing Batgirls. It's going to debut and, uh, you know, Batman 115 in October and do its own series in, in December. And somebody says, Oh, that's, 
that's awesome. I can't wait for that. And I say, hey, thank you so much. Then I, it's writ into my heart and head. I have to say something of equal value to every other person that comments. The, my initial tweet about this got hundreds, maybe thousands of likes. You lose track. Mm. You really do. It's not a matter of like, my life is so cool that I don't notice when my tweet uh, goes big. It's just you lose track. You know, you got other things going on. You, you got a life. <clears throat> so then you go back and you try and honor everyone that has commented. And in the process of honoring that, you expect it all to be like, hey, good on you. Hey, congratulations. Hey, fun times. Hey, can't wait for the book. And then all of a sudden you come across a tweet that is, uh, it's pointed and it, it's somebody that wants something from you, whether it's a character's involvement, whether it's a redirection for the series or a series that hasn't even happened yet. What stuff that is like an editorial mandate that you have no agency over. Mm. All of a sudden we've got these comments and I find myself compelled to respond in the most honest and forthright way that I can and oftentimes that will only lead to whoever is commenting feeling emboldened by it. Oh, this person's going to respond to me. Good. I've, I've wanted to make my point for some time. And these other creators haven't responded to me yet. Good. I found my point of entry. And then they start railing you with, with all this stuff that you cannot control. You will not control. You're just, kind of happy to show up and write a story mm. and you want to do the best job you can you want to make as many people happy as you can um, but ultimately like in trying to please a number of people you're going to displease uh, you know a proportion a proportionate value <laughs> of those people <clears throat> um, so it's it's been interesting. It's been really painful at times. It's been really uh, moments of deep introspection where I've questioned deeply uh, if I want to continue to, to work on things that are not my own. Because you don't get this kind of blowback when it's something that you created from whole cloth, which is why you see people... Um, who reached the top of the mountain, you know, I, I write Batman and I write Spider-Man and I write all these incredible things. And, and it's like every boy and girl and everything in between's dream to do so. You see them going and being like, no, I'm going to go work on my own thing. Part of that is because of the money because you own it entirely, and if they make a movie out of it, you're going to get your beak wet more than, uh, you know, if I'm if they take something that I've written for Wonder Woman and they want to put it into a movie, I'm not going to really see any money off of that. I might get a thank you somewhere. <clears throat> so that's part of it. But the other part of it is you don't have a bunch of people showing up telling you what to do every day. Yeah. It, I, I always think about that thing where it's like, I don't show up to your job and tell you how to do it. Hmm. 
It's, and it's so strange. It's never been the way that I engaged with media in my life. I've, granted, I'm, I'm 42 years old. So the way that I engaged with media didn't involve having this hyper connectivity to the creative teams working on a thing. Yeah. I would read Doom Patrol. I would accept it and move on. There was never a time where I was like, oh, Robot Man would never do that. <laughs> I've never said that to myself. It's like, no, Robot Man just did that. Yeah. That is what Robot Man does. Robot Man does what the pages tell me to, it's doing. And whether I continue to be um, excited and, and, and happy about it is is my own choice. And how that would often be determined was I would look at the cover, I would look at the credits page, and I would say, you know what? I love this art, but maybe I'm not into this writer. Yeah. And I'll just wait. I'll wait. You know? Most, especially in the modern era, most runs don't last super long. No. If you don't love, if you don't love what's going on in Wonder Woman, uh, hang on a minute. Like yeah. it'll be cool again, maybe. Hopefully, the next person will like feed feed your fandom. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's been very strange, and I've tried to be open with like how like feel free to DM me and feel free to do this and that and the other, and it's legitimately messed up entire days of my life where I'm just sad that I let somebody down, and they've beat me up in dms or beat me up in comments so yes yeah, social media is like is um i i've got friends who work on big comics who have deleted their social media who have taken themselves out of the equation entirely and it's because of these fandoms and because of their modality of engagement it can be really painful and people i i don't know that people really get that yeah well, I mean, it's changed so much too. I mean, I've been on Twitter 11 years and one of the things I was extraordinarily excited about to get onto Twitter was because um, there were writers that I really loved who were on Twitter. I, I could, you know, tell James Robinson that I really like something he wrote or Greg Rucker or, you know, anything like that. And they've all gone. Like, they've all, you know, had a horrible experience. They've been <laughs> ta targeted by people relentlessly for, you know, being, uh, what's the word now, social justice warriors or, you know, uh, not respecting yeah. the the heteronormative, you know, Kabul out there or, or something like that's happened, you know, and they don't have time for it. They don't, you know, it, it's not, I mean, people think they own a piece of what you're doing and, you know, you owe them something and it's not the case. You know, it, you're exactly right. You know, in, in our day, we just, um, you know, we read things and we enjoyed it, you know, or we didn't enjoy it and we stopped reading it, you know, and then you came back or things like that. But, I have a love of these characters and, you know, there's things people do with characters that, are, you know, I'm not crazy about, but there's no obligation to people to do anything right by me, you know. You know, someone can mess up a character, yeah. someone else will bring it back. You know, I've, I've been watching this happen, um, you know, if, if you're a fan of a particular character and you think someone's done, been done wrong by them, then hopefully, you know, another writer will feel the same and fix it at some point. So. That's a really important thing to keep in mind is if you feel a certain kind of way as, as a reader, um, certainly a writer might share your opinion. Yeah. So maybe just hang tight. It's fine. Like maybe it'll, maybe it'll get, uh, washed out. Maybe it'll be all right. 
But yeah, I I love I, I I truly love this idea of like social justice warriors uh, because like who doesn't love social justice and who doesn't love being a warrior for the thing? Like I love it. I can't see it as a negative. Yeah, the show show up like do your thing, but also be mindful and be careful and and make sure that it, you aren't brandishing your sword at somebody that's fighting for the same cause as you. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen this a lot, uh, quite recently and like people who are ostensibly good and maybe, um, stumbled a little bit or needed some needed somebody to like kind of dial them in a little bit. And then when it goes into like a full on assault of them, it's very troubling, you know, I, and, and I get it. I, shoot, I've been, I've been on the other end of it. I've been there with the, with the stakes and the torches and, 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 and whatnot. But, um, I, I hope that people are careful and I hope that people look at people's hearts and look at what they hope to accomplish versus what they're actually doing. Yeah. Because I think when you look at, what someone hopes to do and what their effort was, uh, that speaks a lot more about, um, their ability to be able to kind of get with it and to toe the line a little bit more in terms of social justice in quotes. Yeah. Um, to me, justice involves a degree of understanding and, uh, certainly, we know this from, you know, we look at uh, the criminal justice in the States and I'm sure Australia, and we see broken elements of it. We see people serving uh, long stretches, uh, incarcerated for things that maybe aren't super important. And we see other people being let go uh, for things that are, quite important <laughs> and i hope that um i hope that on a, on like a moral metric we can get a little bit better about thinking about how like what somebody does thinking about what they meant to do and thinking about what they will do in the future mm. some some people will will shouldn't be welcome in comics and should be driven out and I love that we have a community that is more than willing to police uh, what we do. But we just, we have to be really careful and we have to be mindful and we have to allow room for, for gray areas. Gray areas are the defining element of life. Yeah. And certainly my moral compass is quite gray and quite wiggly. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am often glad that I didn't have access to social media when I was in my 20s because, you know, frankly, I was an idiot. You know, I, I didn't have fully formed opinions. I would say stupid stuff to be uh, funny <laughs> and provocative yeah, and yeah. things like that. You know, and, yeah. you know, being a, a, a well and truly uh, grown-up adult, having access to this sort of thing, 
I mean, I think it would have ruined my life back then. I mean, there would be, you know, so many things I would have said. And there's opinions of mine that have evolved and matured and, you know, gotten better perspective and, you know, and, you know, I have, I think, a more nuanced capacity to be kind and understanding now than I used to. (laughs) It's, It's quite good that you've been on Twitter for 11 years and you haven't blown it yet, you know, like... Shoot, 11 years ago, I was operating under the 11-year-ago modality. Yeah. You know, I was operating different. Uh, And it wasn't that I was less compassionate. It wasn't that I was less committed to equality and representation in this and that. But I also was, like, living in a different time, in a a different world. Mm-hmm. And when things get dug up from somebody, uh, thing, terrible things, years ago, it's re- it can be kind of tough to parse like culturally where we were at. And that's not, not to give excuse to somebody. That's just to say, um, there's a thing that I like to refer to, which I call like the, I call like the Stooges clause, which is like, I think it was like 1976. The Stooges put out Fun House, which was like maybe the first like quality punk album. Maybe it was like MC5's Kick Out the Jams or something. <clears throat> but either way, like you listen to it, more poignantly, you listen to early Ramones albums. And you know, like, oh, the Ramones, like, hey, ho, let's go, like, mm. <laughs> let's greet Bob. Uh, people would hear it and they would be like, this isn't even music. This is terrible. And they would like smash the records live on the air and be like, this is not, this isn't good. And nowadays we listen to it and it sounds like the Beach Boys. You know, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds completely palatable. So palatable that uh, Blitzkrieg Bop has shown up in like every like for the family kind of movie yeah. uh, for years and years. Like it, it's just it's easy to listen to. Um, but at the time, it was so violent, so aggressive, so scary, so over the top. Yeah, uh, and that's like the Stooges thing. When the Stooges were playing music, it was so. Wild, and now you hear Stooges music in the background of Nike commercials, and you realize, oh, time, time has changed our perspective on things. Similarly, um, with progression, with being a better person, with being a more inclusive person, with understanding the nature of how this world works and how marginalized cultures have been stamped out of our history uh we're just now like uncovering the truth of of what it means to be an american certainly the same is true in australia and certainly the same is true any in any country in any in any uh nation that you imagine it's just now that we're starting to be like, hey, maybe what we were taught was broken, and maybe we can fix it. Mm. Maybe we can do a little bit better. 
Um, so yeah, to to make somebody stand up and defend something that they said even a decade ago, uh, oftentimes doesn't work because it it avoids the the great beautiful value of growth and of education <laughs> and I would hope that um, my good social justice warriors that I love very much, I would hope they keep that in mind. Uh, next time something pops up where someone who's an ally uh, has said something out of pocket a decade ago. Yeah. Uh, I, want, I want to check your receipts. I want to look at you a decade ago. Like, how are you doing? <laughs> like, were you cool? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Were you a, were you a baby? Yeah. Because chances are the people that are most angry were, were very, very young at the time and hadn't considered such things. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, th I think people underestimate the power of regret as far as a way to learn things and to, uh, you know, go, okay. I mean, I, I've been married 29 years. So, and part of that is I have made mistakes with my partner and learned from them and said, okay, yeah, don't joke about that. She, you know, my, you know, Sam feels sensitive about these sorts of things. Don't, don't dismiss her, you know, this, when she talks to me like this, this means, you know, give her my full attention and not, you know, go back to what I'm reading or things like that. And yeah, I mean, they're just trivial examples, but yeah, regret is a really good thing to have because it basically means, okay, I've done this and, and I've found that this uh, has left uh, my response lacking or, you know, something like that. And I can learn from that. And, you know, uh, it's a, such a cliche. You watch things like Big Brother and there's all, you know, 20 somethings who say, you know, I never have any regrets. And it's, you know, do you ever learn anything? You have to wonder that. Yeah, I think that that's a really beautiful sentiment. I think regret is, is someone acknowledging in present tense that they've, that they've learned and grown. And that the person that they once were would be somebody that they would that they would kind of call out. Like if you're in a bar or a pub or, or whatever you call it in Australia, if you said some of the stuff that you might have said years and years ago, current you would check old you. Yeah. And old you would probably be receptive to it if yeah. you delivered it in a cool way. If you said, hey, what you're saying is is ignorant. What you're saying is is harmful. Yeah. Old you would probably be like, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean it like that, bud. Like, let me dial it back. Let me. Um, but you can dial it back when it comes to the internet. When it comes to the internet, you have. It's the same thing as like misinterpreting a text message from a friend. Where the text message might be well-meaning, but you read an inflection to it that is somewhat negative. And then you respond in a somewhat negative way. And then who knows what they're reading? They might read it as completely negative. And next thing you know, you're at war. And I don't want this out of text messaging. And I certainly don't want it out of conversations with strangers about a shared affection that we have, which is <laughs> usually going to be like what I'm working on. Yeah. You know, you, these people don't care about me. 
you know, like it's not, I'm not selling my personality or my lifestyle or anything like that. What I'm doing is I am fostering something that they're passionate about and they wish to reach out to get the thing that they desire. And that's a scary prospect because for one, I don't fully understand it. Like I say, I've never been that type of fan. Two, I don't think that's what makes for good storytelling. It's like pandering to the audience. No. And three, I can't take your suggestions anyway. <laughs> if I do anything that even like kind of smells like a suggestion that you sent me, it starts to feel like, hey, am I getting into weird legal grounds where it's somebody's going to show up and be like, you stole my idea. Yeah. So if you show up in, in my DMs and you say, hey, I want to see like Donna Troy show up and like put on the Themyscarian crown and blah, blah, blah. It's like you have just created a scenario where that is almost certainly never going to happen. <laughs> Because I don't, the thing that you most wanted, the thing that you were compelled to reach out to me about has now become caught up, snagged in, in a kudzu bush of your weird idea that now I'm afraid to touch. Even if I had an idea like that, like I don't want to touch it because I don't want a letter from a lawyer being like, Hey, uh, my my at uh, Donna Troy Rules CEO dot com sent a DM saying this thing about Donna Troy. I can't I can't I can't do it. <laughs> so you just shot yourself in the foot. Even if I was thinking about doing it, I yeah. can't do it. Yeah, they they think they're tossing you a candy bar, but they're actually uh, typing a grenade to it. They will always say. Hey, like I don't want any money for this. I don't want. <laughs> it's like I get that. I, like as a big time fan, I would like I would often reach out to DC and stuff and be like, I don't even gotta get paid. I'm just showing up and ring the blah 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 blah. But conversely, DC is like, we don't want some not unpaid person doing our stuff. Yeah, because they they'll feel that same type of culpability of being like, oh, I gotta like this thing's gonna make money, we gotta compensate the person. There's no such thing as showing up and being like, I'll do a cover for your comic unpaid or or whatever. Always show up with like a with an idea. Show up with an idea and know that it's, it's worth money. And if it isn't worth money, then you do like I did and continue to do. And you take it to friends and you say, like, is this an idea that we can make make together without compensation for fun? Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah, this has been a really good conversation. And I think we've really, I mean, dug into your experience on uh, social media. And, I mean, if you're someone who's listening to this and you, uh, you know, like to take shots at creators on social media um maybe think how that would go in person at a con if you were standing there and you know above all be kind 
that's really yeah. Good. So, what would you like to recommend that people uh, pick up to uh, hear about the real Michael Conrad? So, I've done two graphic novels with uh, comics, all two originals with with my like artistic partner uh, Noah Bailey, who's he's just doing things that you've never seen before in comics. Really an incredible artist, really somebody that I get behind 100%. Uh, the books are Tremor Dose and Double Walker. Both are available on Comixology. Both are available to read for free. If you're like an Amazon prime user or a Kindle unlimited or Comixology unlimited, it's free on all those things. Otherwise, um, each book, they're both well over 100 pages. They're like under seven bucks. Yeah, they're a bargain. Yeah, they're, they're pretty cheap. I would hope that you would check them out. I, I think it, I think in each of those books, there's like an element of my personal philosophy contained within. Um, so if you're at all like interested in who I am, um, that's a neat place to go. Additionally, uh, Tremor Dose will be released like in a print form in late November. So if you're more of a print person, um, like I think November 30th is when Tremor Dose is going to be available through Dark Horse Comics. Uh, so you can you can chill and you can wait for that. But I I do encourage people to like engage in checking out like digital comics. I know mm. it's it it might not sound super fun, but I really love the the panel to panel um, stuff that you can do through Comicsology. So that's really excellent. Of course, on the racks we got. <clears throat> Wonder Woman, we just finished up our run on Midnighter. And then in December, Batgirls number one is is going to be super fun. And I'm very excited to see uh, how people feel about that. Oh, as am I. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And for, for like people that don't believe me about the zines stuff, about me like still doing my own thing, Slide through on uh, Mystery School Comics Group. Bigcartel. or some something. Just look for Mystery School Comics Group. It's a thing that uh, Becky and I do, and we are like at the time of this recording, we're like two weeks, two Sundays away, maybe one Sunday away from 24-hour comics day, which is a thing that was started by Scott McCloud, who wrote Understanding Comics, which if, if you want to create comics and you haven't read that book, get yourself Understanding Comics. But um, 24-hour comics day is a day in which you make 24 pages of comics in 24 hours. And I've done it the past two years. I'm going to do it again this year. Oh, excellent. And we're, like I say, uh, from the time of this recording, we're, we're like a week out, two weeks out. Um, so, yeah, uh, if, if, if you want to make stuff, 
go make stuff. Don't wait for somebody to say it's okay. Don't wait for DC. Don't wait for Marvel. Don't wait for Image. Don't wait for any of these publishers. Go make the thing. Uh, Tremor Dose, our first book that we sold to Comixology, uh, we had made the bulk of the book before it was sold. We were going to make it. We are going to Xerox it. We are going to make it ourselves. Go on. Do your thing. You're going to win. You just have to grind and don't be stopped by anybody. Like you're going to be fine and you're going to be like me. (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you, Michael. And where can people find you on Twitter if you want to plug that? Oh, yeah. For now. Twitter and Instagram, (laughs) I got the same thing. It's just at Michael W. Conrad. Come, Come on. Holler at me. I love I love the platform. I love social media. I love connecting with people. Uh, treat me as you, as you would uh, as you would somebody that you were actually meeting. Yeah, yeah. let's be cool. We we can legit. We, I've made legitimate friends. Uh, you know, I've I've forged real relationships. Yeah. We can have real relationships. We can be kind to each other. We can be cool. It's all good. Like, yeah. Reach out. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. If it feels too toxic, I'll shut down the DMs, but I'll make it so that like, cool people can still reach out to me. We're, we're, like, I, I never want to, like, I don't know. I'm still just that dude who got lucky. <laughs> And I and I and I'll never be able to avoid that. I'll always feel that way. Um, and I want to make it. I want to share that luck. You know, if you think I'm lucky, and you want some of that luck, and you want to talk to me about how I how I made it happen, please do holler at me. We can be cool. Thanks, Michael. This has been an excellent talk. And uh, yes, yeah, stay well and stay productive. We're all enjoying it. 